The use of 5G is going to enable moving a lot more of that data, that video, the commentary, all the things that you see, huge rafts of cables being slung out across sporting arenas. There are going to be trials at the Olympics to move that over 5G rather than having to run copper. The challenge with all of this stuff is just coverage. If you haven't got coverage, if the cell towers aren't there, then you're not ultimately going to get the performance. So we are still beholden on the ISPs to put the investment out there. Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by Softcat, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird, and over the next 30 or so minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different era of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. In this episode, we're going to be talking about 5G, what it is, how it works, and what's in it for organizations. So with me to help is Craig Leginski, who is SoftCat's Chief Technologist for Emerging Technologies. Uh, Craig, this is your third uh, time on the second series of uh, Explain It. So you have done two interesting facts so far, so I want, your, I want a third interesting fact from you. I'm really hoping this isn't repeating the same interesting facts I've done before, because <laughs> that, that would be awkward. I'll go for I fed turtles at a turtle sanctuary in Sri Lanka this year. That is an interesting fact. Uh, and we ha- also have Adam Luca, who's Softcat's chief technologist for security. Uh, Adam, this is your first time uh, on the show for season two. And in season two, we ask each of our guests to provide an interesting fact. So what is your interesting fact? So uh, my interesting fact is on my stag do about three years ago, I got trapped in no man's land. So just before immigration, because I'd left my passport on the plane in the back of the seat. I was currently (laughs) dressed as a sailor and uh, spent six hours in immigration waiting for them to reopen the plane. UK immigration? No, no, no. In foreign country immigration. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I nearly missed my own stag well, Did everyone else just leave you behind? Unfortunately, you know, as it is on immigration, you arrive at the edge of the border and you turn up and there's a bunch of us there. So everyone just went through expecting there to be no problems. Yeah. So I ended up stranded with uh, me and uh, two of my friends who were very luckily were behind me in the queue. Everyone else had proceeded on and had to uh, get on with the day's first activities. So uh, note to anyone else, if you're going to take someone on their stag do, take their passport. Um, otherwise, they may not make it. Did the sailor's outfit not have pockets? The was sailor's that the outfit was lacking in pockets. So first things first, 5G, what is it? So 5G is the the next generation wireless communication standard. So a a lot of these things are built out by standards bodies. So in this case, the International Telecommunications Union and the 3GPP Working Group, which is the the Mobile Working Standards Group. And so it's a set of standards required for the next generation of mobile communication. So faster speeds up to 20 gigabit per second is part of the standard. Ultra low latency. Um, And this forms what's called the 5G NR or 5G new radio standard. Um, It's broken out into to three categories, so enhanced mobile broadband, which is typically what we'll see coming down to a handset, so ultra-reliable, low-latency communications, and that is for, we're going to see that deployed in kind of campus situations or areas where they're particularly latency-sensitive, and massive machine-type communications, so sensors, IoT, machine-to-machine communications, and these are broken up in the first for the first time that we've seen in mobile telephony-style networking into two broad groups. So we have a set of spectrum, so air, being used in a range that's typically seen already within these mobile communications, so from the 3 and 4G spectrum. But we also have a technology called millimeter wave, 
which is a higher frequency that's going to be used as part of these low latency, very high speed networks. It's interesting when you look at the sort of difference between those two bands. So at the sort of traditional 3.5 gigahertz, you're talking 490 megabits per second. So it's pretty quick. Um, but when you go into that millimeter wave, you can get up to sort of 1.4 gigabytes per second. So, you know, massive increase. In, and that's where we can start to see this technology truly replacing wires um, in campus networks. Yeah. So that, um, you know, that move from the kind of existing spectrum that we use for GSM and LTE, which is hundreds of megahertz up to around about six gigahertz through to millimeter wave. So 24 to 86 gigahertz bands, much higher frequency is where we're seeing a lot of that technology progress. And then with an eye to the future, future standards may be in the kind of terahertz range in terms of their the proportion of spectrum they're using to achieve the next generation of speed and latency improvements. Yeah, and, and when we look at it, just by comparison, I mean, it's a real simple comparison for most people. 5G versus 4G is going to be 20 times faster. So it's a pretty good step jump up. You know, you, you can't argue with that too much. With having this split in spectrum, we have challenges for the equipment that we use. So the concept of beamforming, which is effectively how you shape the the radio waves coming in and out of the antenna to to make them as as reliable and efficient as possible. So in a similar way, we're, what we're recording here with directional mics that pick up sound in a certain way, we can't have a kind of 360 degree field of pickups that would pick up a lot of ambient. The same applies in mobile networking or ra any radio device, really, the, whereby the beamforming is used to improve the efficiency of it we see that in an enterprise perspective with wireless access points you know, some are designed to be mounted on the ceiling some are designed for outdoors indoors we have specific antenna patterns that are used to to improve the uptake in in an 802 2.11 space for the wi-fi standard we also see that in mobile telephony and particularly the higher we move in terms of frequency so into that millimeter wave spectrum because those waves are a much higher frequency they're subject to a lot of interference they're subject to a lot of degradation so by using beamforming techniques we're getting greater resiliency and being able to open up these areas of spectrum that previously wouldn't be usable whatsoever and i guess that for me that's really driving the shift towards a small small cell architecture so lots and lots of small radios that are placed everywhere so at the moment, there's sort of, they reckon there's 12 million small cells out there across the world. Um, by 2025, that's going to be 70 million. And really what a small cell is, is as the name implies, it's a small radio. It covers a small area of potentially several hundred square meters up to a kilometer. Whereas the large cell radios, you might have maybe one or two across a whole town that might cover several miles. Uh, in the future, these will be a lot more distributed. They'll be a lot smaller. They'll be lower powered, but they'll be able to provide much higher bandwidth and they'll also start to counteract some of the issues that Craig mentioned there earlier about the signal um, being attenuated by distance because it's so high such a high frequency so you constantly are always having to offset these two different opposing challenges of this bandwidth increase but then you know a decrease in how far the, that signal will go that causes us to change how we deploy this technology and how we consume it absolutely it's, it's finding the right balance and I think different organizations in different industries with use cases will find the the balance that works for them for their use case and all we're talking about here effectively is radio and we can see the difference between you know fm radio long wave radio still uh you know radio for long wave still used primarily as as a bit of an anachronism but it's actually one for the, of the shipping forecast for the shipping forecast <laughs> because the ability of those that wavelength to go much further and is also used as as one of the tests for whether britain still exists on our nuclear submarine fleet
So from an infrastructure perspective, then, what are the implications of all of these different elements? So, you know, the fact there's millimeter waves, um, it's not going to be traveling quite as far, it's going to be having to use beamforming technology. What's the impact on how quickly that can be rolled out and the, and the infrastructure that's required? I guess typically, when we talk about 5G, this isn't going to be a technology that's going to be deployed by most enterprises. It might be consumed and used by enterprises, but it's going to be delivered by ISPs. The technologies that Craig's talked about are specifically related to this use case for IoT uh, devices, so where you need to get this high speed, low latency. Um, and we're likely to see specialist operators use these technologies to deploy the right uh, data collection uh, networks to allow them to collect information back from sensors. It's unlikely that most organizations are going to be setting up their own infrastructure to do this. Some of the areas we expect to see investment from different companies is around things like vehicle to vehicle communication. So as everyone is uh, now moving towards autonomous or semi-autonomous vehicles, actually they need to share more data between each other. So these types of technologies that allows very low latency communication is particularly important when you could consider two vehicles coming uh, into collision. If we then also think about some things that you also use for the safety system, so things like traffic cameras or um, intersection lights where we're actually going to be monitoring traffic and, and using that to make smarter decisions, you look at some of the smart motorway stuff, that really all depends on the ability to take signals very quickly from one source and process them and get that data back out to form some sort of actionable intelligence. So it, it's all about moving that data from the edge into some sort of computing layer to actually process and eventually send back something that is useful. The other thing to also consider with the, with 5G is that's a lot of bandwidth and we've got to consider how we're going to backhaul a lot of that traffic. So we spoke earlier about, you know, 5G is great. It starts to remove the value from the wires and the ground, but it does also mean that we will have these very concentrated nodes. So these areas where we've got a lot of data and being concentrated here and we now need to get all that traffic back onto the network. So it will probably push a requirement for organizations to invest in more high speed switching. Uh, require the, the need for additional fiber runs potentially into those areas there's a number of the 5g providers who offer backhaul via radio wave rather than via fiber so this is uh, one of the interesting things um, there is only one provider who's able to provide that at the moment and they're currently in a tussle with the uk government and actually a number of governments around the world and that's huawei so they offer a sort of 5g base baseband antennas to the actual um, signal boxes but they're currently under investigation because of potential concern from the UK government about uh, Chinese uh, state interference in what is considered critical national infrastructure. So you're saying most of the providers can make 5G equipment but it requires uh, I guess it to be plugged into the network 100%. via a cable but this 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 other company can do it without having having to have it plugged in. Yeah so they they essentially bounce that back to another location eventually you've got to plug it in somewhere it's not totally yeah. magic but that gives you the ability to not need these cables everywhere which further reduces that investment required in the ground. Yeah. Now it feels to me from a security perspective that this is the first time that we've seen a real maybe a real realization of the importance of this infrastructure within the UK you know i think there's the um, move towards cyber warfare if you want to call it that but but really state on state aggression using um using the internet and using a, a attacking critical national infrastructure is definitely happening um the skills available by these organizations and, and really the risk it poses it has has increased over the last year, few years and i think this is going to be a long term investment for the UK so we're really starting to see them take it very seriously about actually the types of equipment that is going in, who that's being produced by, potentially what uh, what interactions they may have with different governments, whether they're seen as friendly or or as trading partners or, or otherwise. 
um, because actually they understand that any flaw in this technology, any flaw backdoor or the ability to place a flaw afterwards uh, could ultimately be the difference between taking down what is quite a key part of our infrastructure. If you took the mobile um, phone system offline today, think about the impact that would cause to most people, the amount of people who consume services that are critical to their lives via the internet and any sort of ability to disrupt that could have a massive impact to the UK. And I'm guessing if it's going to be using for th- if it's going to be used for things like IoT, then you know we're going to be starting to use it for healthcare and and you know fire engines and police cars and tracking those and getting them to people and on time and things like that. And as you said, you know if there's if they're reliant on that, and then it becomes it gets taken down for, for whatever reason, then that does become an issue, doesn't it? It starts to pose a probably a question that's much I guess wider than this podcast really, but ultimately I guess as we go towards becoming potentially more protectionist and increasing our concern about other governments around the world and and how we trade and how we sort of um, deal with, I guess, other countries. We do have to start to be more concerned about the impact those countries may have on us, given that technology is a very global sphere. Like actually most of the components we use every day are manufactured outside of the UK. The majority of the technology market does exist outside of the UK. So we are ultimately reliant on a lot of other countries for what is very uh, critical infrastructure. And we have to be satisfied that we understand the risk and at least we can control the risk where possible. Um, this is probably not a call for us to take back take back control of our borders and, and start building technology in the UK again because, you know, that ship has sailed. We do have a number of great technology companies here, but the reality is, is the silicon exists out in Asia and China. That's, that's a fact of life. It's difficult to anticipate how much the the overall deployment will cost. I think for for consumer purposes, most of the deployment is going to be in the standard mobile laptop type use case. And so actually we're going to see a very similar deployment because from a cost-benefit perspective, there's only so much that you can charge for, for a mobile data package. So the, the UK actually has very low costs in terms of mobility, and part of that is fueled by the fact that we're a fairly dense country. Um, and other than in kind of North Wales or anywhere where a train runs through, you can get mobile signal pretty much anywhere with a relatively small deployment of cell towers, whereas larger countries that need greater number of cells are, are going to be more expensive. But I think the these really expensive deployments, the millimeter wave, the specialist narrowband IoT, that's where we're going to see the, the enterprises coming into the fore. So will organizations building campuses now, instead of running single or multi-mode fibers between buildings to link their switches together use point to point on the 5g standard because fundamentally 5g is a networking standard so you can use it for for pretty much what you want and there's definitely going to be a split between the the consumer applications in terms of what we consume in a, a phone laptop end user computing perspective and how enterprises use the capabilities to to change their business model and the way they operate would your home Wi-Fi routers become 5G? Um, there's still definitely the potential for that, and I know a lot of organisations are trialling it. Um, again, it will vary country to country and territory to territory. So the United States and, and organisations like Virgin Media who use cable, so that uses the DOCSIS standard. New and improved DOCSIS standards go well over the gigabit range and can provide a lot of bandwidth. So if you're in existing cable areas, those probably won't be serviced that well by 5G to home. Outside of that, um, there's definitely the potential to run 5G to home rather than, than copper or fibre. I was going to say, somebody who lives in a semi-rural location with a broadband speed of less than 20 megabits for my sins, so we're fibre to cable, 
to the green box, but we are a kilometre away from the green box over copper, so you get under 20 megabits. So currently we have a 4G uh, external router that gives us about 30, so potentially even better than the the, uh, the cable at the moment, given that the standard in the future could, could push that into the several hundreds. For those sort of rural areas and for rural broadband programmes, I can see it being uh, really useful. Um, so I, I expect that to be something that people will look into. But as always, it's a cost-benefit analysis about deploying a cell tower to those areas. But I guess if you've already got an area where you put a, a, a cell up, actually swapping that over to 5G technology isn't probably that much of a leap, really. So I, I expect that to be uh, pretty useful and help us to get that last 10% into uh, broadband use in rural areas especially. So let's move on to talking about organisations then. So uh, it's 2019. I'm right saying I can't buy a 5G phone at the moment. There are no 5G devices that exist. It's funny you should say that. Oh, okay. So at the time we're recording this, we don't know what's going to be announced soon, but Mobile World Congress is coming up in Barcelona. Okay. It's the, the big mobile industry event. And we're anticipating that 2019 is when we're going to see the first available 5G end devices breaking cover. So last year there was some demos on off from Intel, which was a, a laptop with 1.2 gigabit network card in it that was running 5G. Huawei had some demos there, ZTE, all the, the all of the big, particularly Chinese manufacturers who have an integrated supply chain. I think, hopefully, um, probably around the time this comes out, we're going to see the first devices available breaking cover in Barcelona, but also a lot more clarity on how the infrastructure is going to look from the big infrastructure providers. Yeah, so that's going to be my follow-up point. So there are no devices as of yet. Obviously, you've got to wait and see if something gets released. There's no infrastructure as of yet, at least in the UK. Is there infrastructure anywhere in the States? There's trials going on all over the place. So I think uh, Vodafone have got seven trial areas in cities. There's other organisations as part of the 5G grouping and the infrastructure providers. So you're... Ericsson and and like deploying equipment to test that. At the moment, there isn't any active subscription availability, but there's definitely rollouts going from both sides. 2020, I think, is when it seems to seems to be said the most, so at least Europe anyway, which will be ahead of the USA. So we should start to see the first actual consumer networks or networks that the enterprises can consume in 2020 coming online. Looking at then where we are today. Probably the best way to describe 5G at the moment in the UK is still in beta mode, you know, still being tested, still being tr- still trying to figure it out. Why should an organisation care about it? And what, what could an organisation do maybe to prepare themselves for it, prepare their environment for it, start thinking about it? You know, what, 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 what's, what should a, um, you know, an IT professional be thinking about and talking about now? So I guess for me, the opportunity that 5G really offers for organisations is the ability to distribute your workforce. I mean, everyone wants to work more flexibly more in a more mobile way. If you can start to remove the network as a barrier to that and you can start to remove the speed and latency as a barrier to that, you can kind of think about people being able to work truly everywhere. Actually, at the moment, although I've got a, a 4G access on my on my laptop, generally I will seek out a coffee shop or, or somewhere to get access to Wi-Fi just because it's more stable. 5G gives us the ability, especially in metropolitan areas, to remove that overhead. You know, the ability to use 4K video, the ability to use full HD camera streaming, you know, using voice calling becomes uh, massively possible. So if you think about that, I guess it's really understanding how this technology enables you to change the way people work and also to change the type of content you're delivering down to these end devices. One of the big challenges you, you see with a lot of customers is actually managing their IT fleet outside of the organization if you think about patches you think about updates you think about large file transfers to those devices you know mike you'll know as, as somebody who works in in our sort of digital marketing team 
actually, if you wanted to send me a video we'd recorded, say that's a gig and a half, you'd have to send it to me and I'd have to probably be on Wi-Fi together. You know, in this world, in in this predictable future, you know, I could have a several hundred megabit download on my phone, on my laptop. So all of a sudden I can get those types of files really easily. And we just start to remove those those limits that are currently artificially placed on us on the types of content we can, we can consume. And when you start to think about VR and you start to think about potentially AR experiences, these things are going to be larger and larger media content. But you just think like, actually, we've got screens that have really high resolution now. You know, most laptop screens are 4K these days. You don't watch 4K video on them because you don't have the mobile data because we don't have the speed, we don't have the bandwidth to deliver that. You know, we can put a 4K camera in most phones nowadays. I think 4K is only about 8 or 12 megapixels anyway, so most cameras are actually already much better than that. But we don't send that high quality video because we can't because of the data limits. So this is all about really removing those caps and enabling people to send more rich content to each other and, and I guess have better in experiences, better interactions with their colleagues. For sure. And I think it's going to open up new possibilities for organizations as well in terms of what we see as being new organizations. So if we look at YouTube and Netflix are, are both relatively new companies, Netflix started out shipping DVDs because there simply wasn't the bandwidth available to, to stream high quality video. Netflix now accounts for a large double digit proportion of global internet bandwidth because video takes up an awful lot of bandwidth and Netflix is one of the most popular services going. And as we expand the amount of bandwidth from a technology perspective, it's a it's a bit like a gas. If we, if it exists as a larger box, we will fill it with data in one way or another. You only have to look at file sizes have got bigger as storage has got bigger and everything is just getting larger because we have the technology to support that. And expanding the amount of bandwidth we can push down over the air is only going to fuel that iterative cycle as new organizations spring up or existing organizations pivot their capabilities to take advantage of, of that change in technology and the increased availability. One of the big tests is going to come when Tokyo is going to be blanketed entirely in 5G coverage for the 2020 Olympics. And that not only benefits the, the overall connectivity, but because of certain technologies we do have in 5G, you can think that when you know we look at outside broadcasts and the use of 5G is going to enable moving a lot more of that data, that video, the commentary, all the things that you see huge rafts of cables being slung out across sporting arenas there are going to be trials at the Olympics to move that over 5G rather than having to run copper. So you could have a broadcast camera with a 5G chip in it and it will be sending it straight to the, you know, the wherever it is that they're going to yeah. be. And the latency is much better as well. So that's one of the, the key things. The latency is improved versus 4G. So you don't have as much time between somebody moving their mouth and then catching the audio track. So you see less synchronization issues. Um, I think, guess for me, really, the the video thing is is going to be the key area of interest. You can imagine seeing uh, Cisco UC equipment that actually has a 5G chip in it that's small enough you can take somewhere with you and just pop somewhere on the side and all of a sudden you've got a, a truly mobile telepresence set up. You know, at the moment, telepresence is great because actually, you know, it's meant to make remote people here, but then we realize the remote person needs a bunch of infrastructure and a bunch of fixed stuff that kind of then really defies the purpose of, oh, anywhere, anytime, any place sort of thing. Um, and I think this starts to really change that and starts to mean we can give really rich video conferencing uh, uh, abilities anywhere we go and we can take that technology with us without having to worry about the infrastructure. Okay, so uh, we mentioned, uh, you mentioned that 2020 is about the time that this is going to start rolling out. Um, but can you give us a bit of a timeline as to when you think stuff is going to happen? The big problem with it is that 
as we discussed earlier, there's there's a lot of government regulation and oversight involved. And while we have the technology, the spectrum is licensed. You know, you need you need a license for the air, which sounds a little bit draconian, but is you know something we've had for a very long time. And even radio mics that we might use uh, require an Ofcom license, and that, the same is true globally. The spectrum has to be auctioned off, and then we have the issue that you can take the ideal network scenario as a as a telco operator and your government can decide that it's too big of a security risk and immediately cut that down. I think what's going to be interesting though and I think one of the first places we might see this come out is is in smart cities. So where we have massive amounts of IoT devices that you just, you know, sensors that are out there that you just couldn't cable up. It just it just wouldn't make sense and wouldn't work. So actually where you you need to connect all these sensors back, actually 5G is going to be the technology that's going to be used there. So if you look at any of the sort of smart city test sites, so I know Bristol is a test site. They're deploying thousands of sensors that are measuring small uh, pieces of data constantly. So things like air quality, temperature, humidity, traffic, noise. And it's really interesting. The the crazy thing about uh, big data and data analytics is it's not really what you expect to find. It It's the unexpected that comes out. So actually, does the uh, increase or decrease in air pollution cause an increase in crime? Actually, it's not something you can you would probably guess at, but actually the data will tell us these things. And there are often unintended consequences of, of capturing these data that allows us to make small changes to the environment that has actually a quite large impact. So what's the future for mobile networking? We talked about 5G. Is it going to be 6G, 7G? How does this work? So obviously we don't know what the future is going to hold in terms of networks, but if if history is a good predictor, we should know that generally we'll have increasing iterations as we go forward. You know, if we look back in the, the annals of history, we can see that people would say that you can never get more than a gigabit across a standard copper cable, and yet we can run 10G base T over, over standard twisted pair. So there's definitely a lot of iteration to come forward. Whether we'll need that bandwidth anytime soon, whether there'll be a a real desire to invest in that is perhaps another question. There's only so much that you can send to individual devices and that data still be useful. But certainly we will, I'm sure, see a sixth generation mobile networking standard come out from the relevant working boards and groups and task forces. But whether that will actually be deployed widely anytime in the near future is is very difficult to tell. I think it depends a lot on the deployment and adoption of 5G technologies and importantly because this stuff is so expensive to roll out whether the the uptake is significant enough to make it very profitable for mobile network operators and is there a is there a, a like a theoretical limit or a, like a scientific limitation to this surely we must get to a point where we can't get any faster we can't send more data over the over the airwaves i don't think so because i think ultimately you find new ways of encoding the data it's not about the frequency typically previously you would say okay well the hard limit is the frequency so if you're only using that as as one way of encoding your data you can't go faster than how quickly you you sort of vibrate whatever uh, the transmission medium is so maybe the air molecules or, or or the electrons if you're using cables but we got around that by encoding the data so doing multiple different things that meant that you weren't sending one bit with the signal you were sending four bits and eight bits and 16 bits and 32 bits and so on and so forth so Ultimately, there isn't a limit because actually we'll find a way around it and we'll find another way of, of dealing with it. I think the hard bit without making one of those comments that you feel like it's probably going to come back and bite you is you have to think about why. Like at some point, there won't be any reason to have any more. Like there's only so much data you need to transfer. But I'm sure that 15 years ago, if someone said to you, do we need like gigabit internet? People were like, no. 
We we try not to make predictions. I think the head of IBM said there would be a global market for maybe six computers at one point. Um, yeah, this is this is why you don't make predictions. But in terms of of the the future six G rollout, the um, the Center for Converged Terahertz Communications and Sensing are investigating new radio technologies that will make up the the six G spectrum. That has the potential to be in the hundred gigabit range. So as I said previously, whilst I think we will definitely see some form of standard come forward or perhaps a group of different competing standards come forward in order of using air to transmit very high bandwidth and low latency communications. The timeline for when that actually gets rolled out or adopted, you know, even a company such as ours at Softcat, we still have very few customers deploying 100 gigabit fixed wire networks inside their data centers. The idea that, that we would see that being used over the air um, I think is is some way off. I think for me, as a user, really, all I'm looking forward to, forward to having is we all know that 4G should be good enough today. Realistically, for most of our uses, 4G running optimally should give us enough bandwidth. But it doesn't because actually it gets congested and actually you get less than optimal signal. So kind of what I'm looking forward to is that the specification will move up. So i.e. The, the sort of theoretical maximum will be, oh, my God, you could get 900 megabits. And we'll all probably all end up getting about 100 and be really happy. So as as often with a lot of these things, the the sort of nirvana of the standard or the high end is, is not what everyone gets, but everyone's more happy with the 20% of what they get. So you think about, you know, when we went from 3G to 4G, everyone's like, oh my God, you're going to get 150 megabits over the, over the air. Like nobody does, but we're still a lot happier to get 20 to 30 megabits. That still feels a lot faster than 3G did when you get four or five. So as always, it's that step change increase that actually improves usability and improves the user experience. So, so as a user, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. The challenge with all of this stuff is just coverage. You know, if you haven't got coverage, if the cell towers aren't there, then you're not ultimately going to get the performance. So we are still beholden on the ISPs to put the investment out there. So to summarize. So to summarize, 5G is going to give us high speed connections and it's always also going to give us the opportunity around low latency connections to allow us to connect in specialist types of devices. We're not going to see anything become a reality until 2020 at the earliest and probably realistically 2021, 2022 before it becomes available for consumers. Unfortunately, no devices around today. So I think this is one of these things that there's a lot of press about it. And a lot of people are asking, how does this impact us? But probably the summary from this this episode really is be aware it's coming, but, but probably don't panic about it at the moment. We've still got a lot of groundwork to do and there's still a lot of things to be sorted out. And it probably isn't going to affect your next three to five year buying cycle realistically. Uh, yeah, and finally, I guess the opportunities that it does open is if you're a developing business and you're, you're wondering how this actually might impact you or the opportunity this, this might present you. Um, if you work in the the industry of connected sensors, then this technology is definitely going to be of use to you. If you work in automotive industries or safety critical systems, then this, this technology will open up new avenues around uh, low latency uh, communications, which could be particularly useful for these sectors. I think if you're a business that's looking into virtual reality or, or or ultra high resolution video then then this might enable you to deliver that to more consumers out there so yeah i think adam's point stands out it's it's one really for the future and it's one to be mindful of but we're talking here a very significant national and international infrastructure technology so it's definitely worth in terms of business decision makers keeping an eye on and understanding the potential implications for it i don't think this is going to be a a revolutionary overnight technology because of the amount of infrastructure and different variables and governmental influence required in terms of getting a 
broad, fully functioning deployment, but certainly it gives us a window into the future of what we're going to be looking at um, in terms of the speed and latency implications of wireless communications. And we can then obviously look at the changes in mobile telephony between 2, 3, and 4G to understand the implications that that has, as well as the wider context of machine-to-machine communications and ultra-low latency. Well, Adam and Craig, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting uh, talking to you both about 5G. Listeners, if there's anything in the show that has piqued your interest, or if you'd like to talk to someone at SoftCat about anything we've talked in this episode, um, do check out the show notes. Uh, we'll include lots of information there about uh, some of what we've talked about, as well as some contact information if you'd like to speak to someone. Also, make sure you do click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. So thank you for listening to Explain It from SoftCat, and goodbye. <laughs>